Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome back. And this will be part two of small bowel obstruction. We spoke before about technique, a couple examples of small bowel obstruction, and I thought I'd cover a few entities. So one I always like to talk about is SMA syndrome because it's one of those things that is just a difficult diagnosis people don't think of, and it's something we can see on CT very well. Classically, we talk about marked weight loss, so patients with anorexia nervosa should be considered. It was originally described in patients with total body casting. You can see what happens. The angle between the SMA and the aorta is markedly decreased, and the distance is also decreased, so you get compression of the left renal vein, which can cause nutcracker syndrome or obstruction of the patient's duodenum. Normally, the SMA angle is about 45 degrees. With SMA syndrome, we talk about 10 degrees, and the distance between the aorta and SMA is typically under 10 millimeters. Great example, abdominal pain, un no thought of SMA syndrome, maybe gastric outlet obstruction. We see the stomach's distended, lots of food and fluid. And sure enough, the duodenum is distended. And as you track to the midline, the duodenum is nicely shown. And right at the level of the SMA, you can see there's obstruction. Classic SMA syndrome. Never thought about in this younger male who had anorexia nervosa, which was an unknown diagnosis at that time. Just look at the sagittal view, look at that angle. There is no space for the renal vein or for the duodenum. Another example, same type of history. Look at the duodenum, look how distended it is, and when you do the 3D maps, the obstruction is caused by the SMA. And when you look at the sagittal, it's the SMA to aorta angle, it's decreased, the distance is decreased. No surprise, this patient has SMA syndrome. And a more recent example, Look at the dilatation of the duodenum. It's classic right at that point. And then sure enough, you look carefully, there's the sagittal, decreased distance, decreased angle, SMA syndrome. And again, the reconstructions at times are most helpful. Here's the coronal, really showing you very nicely the angulation. So again, a very important diagnosis. Now, sometimes we'll see patients with decreased SMA angle. I'll comment on that, but I don't say SMA syndrome. I'll just say it's decreased angle. For me to cause SMA syndrome, I need to see the duodenum dilated and the transition point at the SMA. Now, when you think about small bowel neoplasms, uh, there are many different presentations. Uh, the, one of the issues with small bowel neoplasms, they have such a variable clinical presentation that delay in diagnosis, both clinically and radiologically, can range from 6 to 18 months. The important thing is one of the presentations is small bowel obstruction. When you look at some of the numbers, less than 5% of uh, GI tract tumors are uh, small bowel neoplasms. And you look at the presentation, it's very, very variable from GI bleeding to weight loss. And again, just very difficult. We talk about four different types of tumors, and I've spoken about this a bit more detail in one of our earlier talks. Some of the tumors, like carcinoid tumors, are increasing in numbers over the last few decades. But in general, the frequency of small bowel tumors is increasing. And one could argue whether the adenocea or carcinoid is the number one in frequency, but both are very important diagnoses. When we talk about malignant tumor, there's the big four, adenocea, lymphoma, carcinoid, and just tumors. And then there's metastatic disease. And I'll speak about metastatic disease at the very end. And I'll make the point that metastatic disease is increasing. As patients live longer, we see all sorts of new metastatic patterns. And so 
Metastatic melanoma to bowel always occurred, but now we see it more frequently. And other tumors from renal cell to lung cancer, we are seeing. Now, if we go with primary bowel tumors, and we talk about adenocarcinoma for a moment, four types of involvement from diffuse infiltration, segmental, short segment to larger segments, to polypoid masses, to constricting lesions, to ulcerating lesions, you can see that each of those, in a sense, can be a cause of obstruction. Adenoca in general is more common in the proximal bowel, and we see it in as increased frequency in certain conditions like Crohn's and sprue, just to name two. It's easy to miss because it's not always causing obstruction. If you look at this case, the patient's duodenum is mildly dilated at best, right? And you probably think, well, maybe it's okay. But look what happens in the, when we go from the axial to the coronal. Look from the second through fourth portion of the duodenum. It's carpeted by tumor. Easy to miss on the axials, very easy to see on the coronals. Another example, this one's more obvious. The duodenum is dilated to the third and fourth portion. Then you see the infiltration. And look at the coronal view. Look how it's narrowed, classic. Now this patient's unlucky because by the time the presentation to us, we could diagnose it, the patient already has liver metastasis and is unresectable. And you can see this patient had vague abdominal pain, patient had been worked up for possible pancreatic cancer because it had some back pain, but no one ever noticed the tumor in the patient's fourth portion of the duodenum, which at this point is too late to diagnose or too late to treat aggressively. Another case, here's a subtle one, abdominal pain. Look at the duodenum, I put a circle around it. There's a mass present that's under two centimeters. It's subtle, it's easy to walk by, but it's a polypoid circular type lesion. It's not yet obstructing, and I'll show you a few different images, but there it is, clearly different than the rest of the folds. Sometimes, including this case, one can have a difficulty time distinguishing an ampullary lesion from a duodenal lesion, but you know, it doesn't matter. They're both gonna get a Whipple's procedure. The key is to recognize the lesion. And this was a primary adenocarcinoma of the duodenum, second portion. And here it is very nicely shown when I kind of go on a plane directly through the lumen. Now, sometimes it's much easier. The last couple cases I showed you, there was at best minimal dilatation of bowel. Here's a patient with bowel obstruction, and there's a transition point. You can see the enhancement. Again, transition points are critical, whether it's adhesions or any other process, including tumors, which you can see very nicely here, classic adenocarcinoma. Now, carcinoid tumors are interesting. They're increasing in frequency over the last several decades. Uh, most common site of carcinoid typically was felt to be the appendix, but now small bowel is right up there in terms of frequency. Remember, carcinoid tumors can occur essentially anywhere in the GI tract. When they do occur, they're most common in the ileum when it's small bowel, more common in men. And the symptoms and presentation are very variable, but one presentation is obstruction, one is intersusception, one is perforation. And you can see it ranges to GI bleeding, to carcinoid syndrome when you have liver metastasis. Now in terms of presentations, the primary mass is typically seen in bowel more frequently now. The masses can be single or multiple, and not uncommonly seen associated mesenteric mass with it. You have a desmoplastic reaction in the mesentery. 
And the mesenteric mast in about 70% of cases will actually contain calcification. Carcinoid tumors, when they metastasize, commonly go to liver, and those lesions are typically vascular. Now, how good is CT? This article by K. Mu really showed it to be very impressive. Looking at lesions in the 5 to 30 millimeter range, they were able to detect essentially all of the lesions. Sensitivity and specificity, 100% and 96%. Negative predictive value, 100%. Positive predictive value, 95%. So again, very impressive, even with very small tumors. Now this article did make the point that you need to do multiplanar reconstruction. Lesions can be subtle because they can be small. You can see extra uh, colonic or extraenteric manifestations, but to see the primary tumor, it can be very tricky. Also, the point, they can be more proximal, not just ileum. And here's a polypoid lesion enhancing in the patient's uh, duodenum. Now, this lesion is obviously smaller. It's not causing obstruction. Early diagnosis can be very helpful, but very nice example. Another patient with abdominal pain, again, the bowel is really not dilated if you look a little bit closer on the coronals, maybe there's some mild dilatation. And when you look carefully, you see multiple enhancing lesions. And when you MIP it, you see even more lesions. So again, it can be multiple, but it can be very, very subtle. Liver mats, as in this case, you can see the mesenteric mass consistent with carcinoid. Liver mats are classically vascular, and you can see that in this example as well. On venous phase imaging, the mets can disappear or become isodense. So um, you want to be very careful if you're looking at carcinoid tumors to make sure you have a good arterial phase. Things like uh, adenocarcinoma, the METs will be best seen in the venous phase. Now I'll mention GIST tumor because we're seeing more GIST tumors. It's interesting, GIST tumors can be very large and not obstruct. They can ulcerate, they can cause bleeding. The duodenum is the most common site of small bowel GIST tumors, though the main site in the GI tract would be the stomach. Up to a third of malignant, it's very size-dependent, the pathology, mitosis per high-powered field, certain uh, risks, extra gastric location, over 5 cm, or all some of the risk factors. Age, not that much different from adenocarcinoma. Symptoms from abdominal pain to obstruction to GI bleeding. The smaller the tumor, the more likely it is to be non-malignant. Um, interestingly, they rise from the wall of the GI tract and can be characterized as benign, borderline, lower high malignant potential based on path features. Almost all of them are C117, CD117 positive. Uh, CKIT is a growth factor receptor with tyrosine kinase activity, and that's the reason Gleevec works so well in treating these patients. In terms of findings, when we pick them up small, they're usually vascular. And often when we pick them up small, it's an incidental finding that's rare, but it's GI bleeding. When they're larger, obstruction and ulceration is what we tend to think about. They don't produce significant nodes, but they give liver mets, which are often cystic. One thing about just tumors, they're very large and they can be confusing. You can see in this case, I might be considering this patient to have a pancreatic tumor, but there's no common or pancreatic duct dilatation. I've mentioned this before. You have to worry, is there really a pancreatic mass? Look at the patient's hepatic artery and GDA. They look so good. There's displacement a little bit at best on the venous side, but 
and maybe a little bit of neovascularity, but that's about it. Again, Gleevec and then surgical resection. Now, sometimes patients aren't so lucky. This patient's presentation, large left lower quadrant mass, again, interestingly displacing, not obstructing bowel, but look at the extent of liver metastasis present. So sometimes the liver mets are there at presentation. As I mentioned, these metastases can be very cystic and very necrotic. And here's that same patient in a coronal view. So again, a very, very important example in terms of uh, uh, looking at uh, different tumors and their presentation. So I would say adenocarcinoma, um, carcinoid tumors are more likely to cause bowel obstruction than one would expect to see from a GIST tumor. GIST tumor is probably the least frequent. When we then go and look at other tumors, perhaps you know, we also will find several other features that go along very well with these tumors. I think one of the things to think about is that uh, you can talk about lymphoma. We talk about lymphoma for many different uh, reasons. Lymphoma is obviously a common tumor involving the GI tract, and the small bowel is not uncommonly involved, and particularly with mall tumors. But I think what we'll do is we're at a good point and let's take a break and then I'll come back and we'll finish up lymphoma, we'll finish up metastasis, and we'll finish up with a few special pearls. And I'll be right back.